Hello and welcome back to the Not So Fit Couple podcast with your hosts, Lucy Davis. I'm Benjamin Holden. So today we have a wonderful guest with us. Um, probably up there, I'd say, the equivalent, the status of Hobnobs in regard to <laughs> the, the name he was given at birth. That I thought I'd put, put out there as one of the things um, we've had recently because we've been meaning to arrange this podcast for a while now, not just like the last two weeks, but also maybe like six months ago when we were on another side of the continent or the other side of the world. And um, we we're going to get the podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a year ago. Yeah. And also, we, I think we arranged it last week, but Ben's had monumental issues with acquiring a microphone I'm only, I'm only just getting over the trauma of this <laughs> so um we we kind of told some of the the listeners last week that we're, our next next episode uh, we've got ben on um and then we did the next episode last week i was getting dms like why is it only the ship ben on it and like lucy yeah. lucy on it like they're waiting for the big um the big intro so today we have um the wonderful ben carpenter um Thank you very much for having me on on the podcast, okay. not not a problem at all. Just before anyone DMs him as well, by the way, he's he's actually not a carpenter. That is his his second name. He is a coach, an educator, dare I say it, an an influencer. Oh, it makes me cringe, it's, doesn't it? Oh, see, people have this negative. A lot of people have that negative association with. I don't know where you stand with the the word, but obviously, at the end of the day. We are all influencers as, as yeah. much as we like to. Not. I genuinely, I, I know we're like getting off on a tangent on minute one. Uh, I genuinely don't care about the term at all. I just know that it has a bad rep. Mm. And I think there's something a bit weird about being called an influencer because when someone says, oh, you're an influencer, it makes me think, well, no, I actually, like, there's other stuff that I do. Like I call myself a personal trainer. Yeah. Social media is just the kind of byproduct of it, I think. But you are right. We are all busy influencers. Yeah, I suppose I shouldn't bring too much attention to it then because I guess everyone is an influence yeah. at the end of the day. But like we've been saying, we've been meaning to get this podcast in for a while when we were over in Australia. So it's nice to finally bump heads because I know you're still across the other side of the world. You're currently in, in Mexico. Yeah, I, if you did get any angry messages about our podcast being late, I will accept full responsibility <laughs> for what was a monumental task of trying to get a new microphone in Mexico. Yeah, I think this is like your six, six or seventh one, isn't it? Uh, n- next to me, I won't get them all because obviously people are listening to the audio. I have, I think, three or four other mics, and I went and bought one, took it back, tried to get another one. I went to five shops, couldn't get any, couldn't get any delivered. Apparently, if you go on Amazon in Mexico, I can't have Amazon Prime because I'm not a Mexican citizen. Delivery was two weeks. Really? Like, what's the point of Amazon? I thought Amazon was supposed to be swift. So, um, yeah, it is my fault. I take full responsibility. <laughs> That's fine. As long as, long as the quality of this, um, this, this conversation flows, then I'm sure the, the audience will be willing to put on with a little bit of lateness. But um, I think we, the first time that we all met was probably... Um, it was IFS. IFS. Yeah, it and IFS. I was completely sloshed. I remember the first time I spoke to you, Ben, I think was probably outside the male cubicle. And I think I still got an image of a phone where we took a proper messy selfie. Um, you sent me that photo afterwards and it was, yeah. I, I would say it's probably one of the worst photos of me that I've ever seen. <laughs> you obviously look glorious like a Greek, Greek statue. I look about as photogenic as a scrotum. Like proper, <laughs> proper sweaty faces all over. I wasn't even drunk. I just, I don't, I don't photo well. There is no good angle. And I, I looked at that and I was like, oh my God, that makes me feel ill. I think when you're in the midst of 
sweaty adolescents who've been jumping around in the sun in Spain for a good few hours, I think it's never going to be end well in yeah. regards to the aesthetics, is it? So we can. I, we can I was one of the people jumping around in the sun. <laughs> yeah. the have a problem. Could have washed my face or something. I look, I look sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> but I think um, on that note, I think they'd planned for still to IFS to go ahead this year, haven't they? Um, however. I don't know how likely that may be with, with the way everything's still evolving and developing this year because I think there's been some other issues like in near Brazil with other strands and stuff and Lisbon got put off the, the travel corridor was banned off it for, for a while. So I guess we'll just see the reunion is um, it's going to be this year or next year. I don't have any, any insights to IFS. Um, I'm hoping it goes ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. Yeah, there's a lot of people who from our school and stuff who were planning on heading over. So we'll just give news where and when I suppose it comes about. I don't. I think it's one of those things where no one actually knows, do they? No. You can't. You. You know. I think six months ago, someone was talking about coming out and visiting me in America in April, and I was like, "Now we look back at that. We're like, That's never going to happen now." Yeah. But at the time, it seemed feasible. Yeah, no one knows. We we get DMs often about it in regards like when when gyms are going to open. It's like, mate, I, I stand outside and pit, pissing in the wind if you think, yeah. Let me, think, let me you know. call Boris one sec. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that that's um, a lot of people seem to be main concern. The only thing you can probably say for the UK is that um, it was probably like one of the last things to shut and it probably had one of the um, smallest transmission rates. So I think that's the only thing that maybe goes in its favour. But when when that all unfolds, we'll, we'll suppose we'll never know at the moment, will we? But, yeah, you've still got gyms over there, haven't you? Um, in in Mexico, I actually haven't seen anything shut. Um, really? You can go to a gym, like strict mask protocol, um, to the put like some gyms, you can't even take your mask down between sets. Other gyms, they don't, they're, they're like, make sure you have a mask when you come in and when you're walking around. But, you know, if you need to take it off while you're doing a set, then crack on. Um, but yeah, everything's open. I haven't seen anything shut, I don't think. Yeah, I only jog my memory because I remember seeing you doing chin-ups the other day with like what looked like two small humans strapped between your legs. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, yeah, gyms are open here. I thought you meant the pull-up video of me actually with Sophie hanging off my waist. <laughs> <laughs> that, was in a, it, that was in a hotel gym with no weight belt. Well, this sounds more like an OnlyFans conversation than a than a than a workout, but nine ninety nine a month. <laughs> <laughs> But we'll um, we'll delve into what we actually came to talk about today, which is um, disorderly eating. And from having co- previous conversations with Ben, I know me and Lisa spoke about it previously on the podcast before. We've all got some experience with um, poor eating habits and disorderly eating as well. So yeah. I guess we just kind of wanted, um, and it's something that is quite often requested that we we speak about on the podcast, um, because I think it's one of those topics that unless it's really spoke about, not a lot of people will come out and talk about. And when I've been speaking about it more and more over the last two years, the amount of messages I've had via DMs and the unfortunate amount of messages I've had about it as well in regards to people who often hide it and feel ashamed about talking about it. I feel like the more conversations like these that I had, the more that it makes people feel like there's someone to relate to and they can kind of open up a little bit more about it. Yeah, I, Uh, I, I completely agree with that. I think when I started as a personal trainer, I definitely had this kind of idea in my head of I have to set a good example and all of my old kind of social media stuff, I never used to talk about anything personal ever. And then I talked about like disordered eating habits and and other things like, you know, injuries and illnesses and stuff. And every time I did, people would say 
it was amazing to hear someone talk about it because so few people do. And it made me realize that maybe the one of the downsides of influencers, as we've talked about, is it's often curated content. People mm-hmm. try and make themselves look perfect and they don't talk about the, you know, nitty gritty stuff behind the scenes as much. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's what, at the end of the day, it's going to make us be more relatable to other people as well. So like when we're talking about content, for example, my best piece of content of content have always been when I've opened up about something or talked about something, which is maybe uh, classed as more tongue in cheek. And it's often the, yeah. the, the content that helps other people more than you would, you would ever um, imagine really. Yeah, no, it is. And like, it's obviously like the first, I would say like I've been influencing, that's a better way to say it. I've been influencing yeah. people for what, like three and a half years now, but like the first, getting into the industry, like within the first year, I was so in the deep of an eating disorder and not a single person knew. And I felt very much so like a fraud because I was not well. Like in turn, I don't class it as you being well when you have an eating disorder, even though you can look great, you can say you're fine, say you're happy. I was in such like an unbelievably dark place. And then it was only last lockdown that I actually did my first YouTube video saying to people, I had an eating disorder for two and a half years. And honestly, the amount of feedback, and it was also kind of a relief because I was like, it's like getting something off your chest. You've got, you've got to share it to, for someone else to see, oh, right, well, that's happened to Lucy. So maybe it is normal that I can actually go and speak to someone about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think it's great using, um, like, say, your platform. Um, or any of our platforms to, to talk about that stuff because, yeah, I, I think it's very easy on social media to always post your best bits and talking about the stuff yeah. that is a bit raw. And it's also, you know, it's difficult. It's it's hard putting your emotional stuff out there to people and talking about eating disorders is like very, very, very personal stuff. And, you know, it's, you, you I think maybe worried about what type of feedback you get you know social media can be quite a harsh world as well and i think it's kind of easy to shield yourself from it by not talking about that stuff i think mm-hmm. that's cool 100 I, I mean i've got no statistics to kind of back this up but i feel like the when i've spoke about before there seems to be less males talking about it more so um, than anything else or open up about it, just from what I've seen and just from the feedback that I've received from from some people when it comes to eating disorders. I mean, when, even looking back, I've never really spoke about this even to you, I don't think before, but I was thinking about before when we were walking around the food aisles at Little. Um, what, when I've probably think back to when I had maybe negative associations with food or, or disordered eatings, whatever term you want to put to it, like it was when I was first starting to I did a show like years and years ago when I was like 21 and I was doing things like nibbling at food and then spitting it out and at the time I was like I didn't even see really anything wrong and because I was I'd speak to the lads about it and the lads would be like oh yeah like fucking we just laugh it off like it was normal like you've got to do whatever you can when you're you're competing and that kind of shit just deemed as well it's kind of just accepted as normal no one even like really challenged that type of behavior at the time i think that something kind of similar happened to me where when i first started in the personal training world um it was back when like paleo diets were a bit bigger um and everyone was very like 
I'm going to eat unprocessed food. Processed food is really bad for you. And um, I, I was kind of in one of those bubbles of personal trainers where everyone was like hardcore unprocessed food type thing. Um, and I remember, I remember reading an article about orthorexia and something with it just hit me. And I was like, this feels familiar. And I remember like, I think it got shared in like a, a Facebook group or something like that. And I saw loads of people laughing it off like, oh, that's just healthy eating and people are labeling it. And I was like, I think you're kind of missing the point here. I was like, there was just something with it that, that rang true. The idea that, you know, healthy eating kind of go too far because there's a, a almost like an unnecessary phobia of anything that doesn't fit a very narrow list of um, foods. Mm-hmm. And I think that in the, the personal training world and the bodybuilding world, um, as you touched on, it's so ingrained that people have to be hardcore that it's very easy to just say, it's whatever it takes. You just, you're just doing whatever it takes to get a certain result. And that's what I used to kind of tell myself. I was like, I don't eat this. I don't eat this. I don't eat this. Like huge list of foods that I would strictly avoid. Um, and I just like, I'm just doing what it takes to, you know, be as healthy as possible. And it wasn't until it really had a bit of a kind of social life backfire when I was like, I'm not eating out with friends and family anymore. I'm nervous to go and eat at restaurants. Like if I'm going to a friend's house, I'm not letting them cook for me. I'm taking my own food. And I used to like leave social occasions and go and eat on my own because I wanted to like be in charge of what I was eating and stuff like that. And it wasn't until it really had a bit of a social life knock on that, I kind of really opened my eyes to the, the downside of it because on, on paper, a lot of people would say, oh, he's just, he's, all he's doing is eating healthily. That's a very flippant way to kind of disregard the, the impact that it had on my life elsewhere. Like I had a lot of, a lot of anxiety, a lot of unnecessary food paranoia, a lot of unnecessary food rules for things that even related to my physique didn't actually make a difference. Like having a meal at a restaurant or something it's not like doing that is going to be absolutely catastrophic for my health or something mm. um yeah and i think in in the fitness world it's very easy to just say oh you know people are just doing what it takes and yeah. so focused on maybe just body composition that they may be overlooking the you know psychological health yeah i think that's what massively happens you get it get labeled as as bodybuilding so it can be accepted and I remember doing it to a point where, and that was at the same time as the fair show was, <clears throat> we were out on a night out with um, some of the lads and parked the car probably like five minutes away from where the club that we were at. And I probably left at like one o'clock to go and sit in the back of my mate's car and just eat fish and some asparagus. And at that time, it was just like, didn't even like blink an eyelid about it. It was just normal. I'd come back. And because you almost had that... Um, Social reassurance and people were like, oh, Ben's doing this. He looks great. Like, like people like patting you on the back for shit. It was almost like you'd done a good job about it, even though I came back into the club probably smelling like a, a mix between a fishmonger's and piss because I've been eating, <laughs> eating asparagus. People yeah. like, yeah, you know, like giving giving that social reassurance, it it doesn't make it then seem that unusual. Yeah, and you, you know what? I think with with like say, if you take one end of extreme bodybuilding, like the people that are most uh, may most obsessed with with looking a certain way, like their the way they look is their career. There is a kind of whatever it takes mentality to get there, and I think that happens in a lot of sports. Like there are a lot of sports, like tennis players, probably more susceptible to elbow and shoulder injuries, and they're going to say, you know, whatever it takes as a kind of cost of that sport. Mm-hmm. And I remember like 
if if you go back, it's maybe a bit less common now, but if you go back 10 years or something and you're looking at bodybuilding magazines, how many bodybuilders did you see where they ate the same thing? Six meals a day, like chicken yeah. and rice, six meals a day, chicken, rice and broccoli, six meals a day. And I, I grew up thinking this is what it took. Like if you wanted to look that way, you had to eat that way. So I was just eating the same thing every, every day, like five meals are the same thing. Um, and anything that wasn't on that list, I became like super scared to eat. And I d yeah, I didn't realize how, how bad it was until I was actually invited to on like a lad's holiday. It was like my, one of my best friends was getting married and he invited me to Ibiza. And I remember being anxious to go as I, all this alcohol and like, I'm not going to be able to go to the gym. I'm not going to be able to be in charge of like what I'm eating and stuff. And I was like, I'm actually anxious to go on holiday. And I was like, what the fuck, what the fuck? And even when I was there, like it took uh, kind of, it was a really outside my comfort zone. And I had one of the best weeks of my life. And I remember coming back and it was a huge slap in the face because there was a part of me that was almost like, should I even go? Because, you know, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about this. And yeah, it was just a huge wake up call because I realized that I was living a super strict life for something that I just don't, you know, I, I wasn't even someone that was competing at the time. I was just doing like photo shoots and stuff. And I was like, do I really want, when I die, do I really want to look back and be like, oh, I looked insanely shredded for most of my life? Or am I going to look back and think, you know, that lad's holiday was amazing and think back yeah. to all those memories. And I realized that I was missing out on loads of memories and loads of socializing because I was worried about my body fat percentage. Yeah, just just to guess slightly off tangent with that on the mm -hmm. on the lad holiday, because you know, I'll swing this back around because I think that's quite relevant to to your experience of eating disorders, isn't it? In regards to because you were um, competitive swimmer, and that's how yours developed. But when it came to like, those lads' holidays, we used to do the same. So again, because like we were all lads doing things together, like we were cutting down, trying to get shredded in like twelve weeks because we were going to like some shit all like Xanti or Malia and stuff, Malia. and then Malia. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then what happens is people push stuff to extremes, push to, stuff to extremes and to, to the point where you start, well, we did anyway, anabolic started becoming like, just like, it was just like taking your creatine, like it become, become normal for us to take before holiday. And then people would take it further and further, take the doses higher and higher. Because again, we are that social group where people, the lads are like, yeah, we'll just do whatever to get, to get shredded for, for a holiday to the point like I used to go away and probably much to your joy no you'll, to, you'll be you'll be happy i probably couldn't i couldn't even get it up in the end when we we're going away on the last holiday because ben, just to let people know this was when ben was about 18 so yeah. about six years before i knew him yeah but that's what, when i was about 18 when i was about 18 to 20 that was probably when i was at my biggest i was like 16 stone 15 stone like not and i was like pretty leanish yeah but that, that's because i was smashing the shit out of the anabolics as well at the same time and people that must have knew that, that was one of those things that I never got in. I'd never kind of got into. And I, I honestly think part of it is because I knew in my mind that I would fuck myself up. That's all there was to it. Like I went, I went, I, I won't name them because it seems like it's throwing shade. There are a couple of like fitness, mo male fitness models who I remember seeing over the course of like a year or so. And I saw them go from like similar shape to me to fucking massive and fucking mm. shredded. And I was like, if I obsess this much about the way I look at the moment, what happens when I open that floodgate? Is it just a little bit of this or a little bit of this? Or is it just, 
you, you know, you can take the doses higher and higher and higher and higher and have some more things and stuff like that. And I, I just, I saw a few friends, and this is no disrespect to any of them that are listening. Um, I saw a few friends who I just thought fucked themselves up a bit. Like yeah. I, saw, I saw people looking in incredible shape and telling me on the side that their doctor said they've got really severe liver issues and kidney issues and stuff. And don't get me wrong, they were taking like a lot of stuff. And yeah. I was like, it just, I don't think I have a sound mind to use it as responsibly as possible. So mm-hmm. I've, I've, that's why I look the same for the last six years. <laughs> I think it's one of those things and it's like that quote of you or like the equivalent of the five people that you surround yourself with because I think if I wasn't in with the the group of lads who were probably doing it as well and normalized it I probably wouldn't have gone down that route by choice myself it was just kind of because it was was normalized but to to, to kind of come back onto the the sort of leading route that was probably in regards to like looking at sport and, and other sports like bodybuilding which are c- competitive obviously yours developed by a swimming yeah mine's i don't know i always say like oh i feel like mine's quite a unique story however when i actually oh, oh bloody hell was my mic off yes does you that mean it no i think you'll probably hear through mine as well oh my god we've got <laughs> i just, I've just, looked, I've just looked over at lucy's mic and my obviously mine will pick a lot of what you're saying up because you shout very I shout, loud, I'm is, very close, which to is why I end up with a headache. Anyway, Lucy sounds a bit sounds a bit quiet all of a sudden. <laughs> wow, hello. Okay, so I've just joined the podcast, everybody. Yeah. So nobody panic. Yeah. I've, I have been here. Um, yeah. So I always used to think I was like, oh, I feel like my story is actually quite unique. However, when I actually opened up about it, the amount of ex professional athletes who messaged me was unbelievable because. Mine did stem stem from swimming. It took me a while to realize that. I swam for eight years. I swam for GB. I swam internationally. My nutrition and food was controlled from the age of 14. My body fat was measured every three weeks from the age of 14. At the time, you don't realize it's going to have such a long-term psychological effect on you. When I quit when I was 18 and came out of that swimming bubble, I I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I was like, oh my God, like I usually eat this amount of food because I swim nine times a week, but now I'm just in a gym. So, okay, so what I'll do, I'll do faster cardio in the morning and I'll do a weight session at night and then that I can still do nine sessions. And then I went to uni, I quit swimming. Everything was a bit all over the place and just food became such an issue for me. It was kind of the era as well. You probably remember, even though it's a pretty like female thing, like the thing of like the whole thigh gap and just wanting to be skinny and like girls craving the size zero models. And I fell into that, even though I was shredded, like I've always had abs, I've always had like an athletic physique. I was like obsessed with wanting to be skinny. And for me to do that, the only way that I ended up finding possible was, was through throwing up my food. And it's something that I like, I still find it weird to talk about because in my head, I'm like, oh, like it, it's a horrible thought to go back on because I was bulimic for two and a half years. And it started obviously with like binge eating, you binge on foods that you've cut out your diet because they're bad foods and you can't have them. So you binge on them and then throw them up in private. But then I ended up doing it with every food. I'd have my oats. Oh, don't want that I'll have a salad oh don't want that and the only reason that I started posting on Instagram was for accountability it wasn't because like what three years ago it wasn't like influencers weren't like a massive thing I started posting on Instagram to be like okay you seriously need to put on weight 
people are now saying to me, oh, like you look good, but you look really skinny. So the compliments started to kind of fade into that. Oh, you look good, but you're really skinny. And it was really sticking. So that's the only reason I started posting Instagram as like accountability. Like let's, let's put a bit of muscle on Lucy. Let's put a bit of weight on. And yeah, I only shared that last March, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's like, there's an interesting conversation, I think, in the fitness world. Um, but I mean, like, when you, when you say things like you're having your body fat measured every three weeks, although swimming and, and like, um, the kind of aesthetic world of bodybuilding, obviously, aren't the same thing. As a behavior, like having your body fat measured regularly, there's obviously some kind of overlap there. And I think there's an interesting conversation of whether people get into the fitness industry, um, because of their kind of existing mentality and does the fitness industry exacerbate some aspects of that so um, people in the say bodybuilding culture rates of eating disorders are higher than your average group of people and the question is are people getting into bodybuilding because they have that their kind of that um psychological characteristic um or is bodybuilding exacerbating that psychological characteristic? So basically, are people with disordered eating gravitating towards bodybuilding because of, you know, the control and the obsession and the perfectionistic tendencies? Or is it something about bodybuilding itself that kind of amplifies it and makes it worse? So, you know, the act of having your body fat measured every three weeks or something, that's obviously going, has a possibility to amplify some obsession with the way you look and the way you're controlling your weight and, you know, weight control behaviors and stuff like that. And um, yes, it's a really complicated thing, but I don't think we should be surprised that a lot of people in sports have issues with eating. Yeah, it's, it's, it's massive. And it's bigger than I ever thought it was because at the time, if you're in sport, you don't say anything. You don't, you don't talk back to your coaches, your nutritionist, you're, you're, you're quite scared. And this is like for guys and girls and people I've spoke to at the time, you don't want to share how you feel because you don't want to be weak or you don't want to, you don't want your coach to shout at you. Like we used to get weighed before and after every session to see how hydrated we were to see if we'd lost like X amount of weight with electrolytes and things. We used to have our we tested like, and it was constant. So you don't want to say, I don't want to be weighed today because you'll just get bollocked. And I, I 100% get that sport is you, you have to have that discipline and there needs to be this like level of strictness, but I don't actually think a lot of coaches think about the psychological impact of, of nutrition from the ages of like 14 from like young guys and girls. They, I just don't think it's like there because their job is to just win trophies and win medals as a group, isn't it? So like, yeah, like say, say you're a bodybuilding coach, like, I'll just pick a sport that we all kind of understand the mm. the processes behind. If you wanted all of your people to be as good as possible, all of your um, athletes, chances are you're going to put them on something strict. Like you can understand why people have done that. You can understand why so many people so many years were like, I'm going to eat chicken, broccoli and rice five times a day and nothing else. Because in their head, they're like, I want to be the best. And the idea of having any kind of leniency to that seems like you're taking a maybe a shortcut. Um, but this is one of the reasons why I never got into bodybuilding, like to actually compete is because I genuinely thought it would fuck me up. Like mm-hmm. I'm not, uh, I don't want to track all my food because I think that would put me down a bad path. I don't want to have my body fat measured 
every week because I think that'll put me down a bad path. And I think there are a lot of, um, you know, behaviors that people might adopt to be as good as possible at their sport, whether that's, um, you know, swimming, bodybuilding or anything else, but don't necessarily factor in what it's going to do to their psychological state. Like you say, you could be a fucking amazing swimmer, but then feel like you're struggling with other aspects of your life. But yeah. do, your, do your coaches care if you're if you're winning medals? I don't know. Is that their job? Yeah, actually. Asking out loud, I don't know. Yeah, with with the I was looking at a stat before. Um, it was to do with like people who then progress into eating disorders, and I I don't know like where they pull the data from, but the National Eating Disorder Association reported that there was thirty five percent of normal dieters then progress to pathological dieting, and that then twenty to twenty five percent of those individuals then develop eating disorders. Um, so it's obviously people who who may go into the fitness industry. And then I think we, we as a fitness industry at the moment are still failing those people who come in. And there's, I don't know if it's the right word that I'm using, the systemic, the right word where it's, where it's passed down. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah. Um, and it, and then for those people who then maybe become coaches, even for people like myself, because I was coached by someone else who um, imposed on me like incorrect protocol or, or wasn't supportive enough or, or gave me the wrong set of tools that I took forward as a coach in, in my early part of my career that I then passed on to other people. And it's it's this kind of like ripple effect that then goes down that people pass on this misinformation. And I, you I completely agree that. Yeah. And you obviously are listening to your your coach or whoever you're being coached by because you put trust in that person and they hold a certain amount of authority. So you take that information is to be correct and no matter where it's come from then you, you then pass it on to other people so i think it's like quite deeply rooted in the fitness industry that that ripple effect happens and until that's addressed from like a higher level as well for those people who do have influence then it's going to continue continue to happen and we're going to continue to fail people long term my yeah i i completely agree my theory with the fitness industry is that for, for a long period of time, the fitness industry is, has been about aesthetics. Like if you look at the front cover of any magazine, I would say nine times out of 10, but it's probably higher than that. The person on the front is going to be super lean. And it wasn't necessarily about what they could accomplish. Like I have many friends who've been on the front cover of Men's Health and it wasn't about like this person can do this performance. They can sprint at this speed or throw this, this far or whatever. It's because they look good. And the fitness industry has been about the way someone looks predominantly um and i think like you say it's almost like bodybuilding culture has trickled down into the fitness industry and that's become ingrained because when i was first you know dieting i genuinely thought the way to diet was to eat um like white fish white meat and vegetables yeah well that was it like that's just the way you did it because when i looked at people's diets it was like bodybuilders like their cutting protocols and uh you know I've, I've seen other personal trainers do the same i saw a very 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 expensive personal training company and they wrote someone i knew a, a dietary program like a 12 week and it genuinely like their whole training program imagine over several pages diet was like two sentences at the bottom of a page and it said for the next 12 weeks you can eat white meat white fish green veg that's it unbelievable that's it. that isn't it and they were, but I mean, these, these were people who came from like a bodybuilding culture. They were used to getting people, you know, shredded to the bone. And they were just, these are just gen, you know, Joe public. This wasn't, 
my friend wasn't someone who wanted to be a bodybuilder. He just said, oh, I want to lose a bit of weight. And this was the diet he was put on. And it's basically like bodybuilding diets for Joe Public. Mm-hmm. And it's taking the people who are really enthusiastic about fitness, taking the people that are happy to, um, you know, run headfirst at a wall if that's what it takes to look as shredded as possible. And then giving that information out to people that don't have that mindset. You know, most people, if I think if you gave out a proper bodybuilding diet to a hundred people on the street, a hundred people are probably going to hate it. Yeah. But for years, that's what we were doing in the fitness industry. Yeah. A hundred percent. I had a conversation with, um, a client the other day, but listen, I put a post up on my Instagram page. Um, it was from me like a year and a half ago. And it was probably like when I was at my leanest point. Um, but it was at the worst point when I was in regards to like where's up to a meeting disorder. But when I originally put the post up, had so many comments of like, oh, you look so amazing and brilliant. Like probably like the most liked and commented um, yeah. post that I put up on my Instagram page. And then I reposted it again with the true story behind like what was happening at that time. I think so many people couldn't believe that I was that bad. Like for, I've spoken about my eating disorder before, before on the podcast and I had um, something called NES. I don't know if you've heard about it before, Ben, but it's it's um it's called nighttime nighttime eating syndrome. So I was I was it was essentially a form of binge eating, but I was essentially getting up in the night, the middle of the night, like two AM. I'd come upstairs yeah. and just like be nailing stuff like so quickly to the point where I wasn't chewing stuff. I'd wake up in like the night with like bloody throat because it was just like cut my throat because I wasn't I wasn't chewing things. I was just trying to swallow it as as quickly as possible. And it it's almost to the point where like you're subconsciously doing it. So some nights Lucy would come up and find me in the kitchen and and try. You and... weren't really awake, were you? But... It wasn't like sleepwalking, but you like you 100 were not awake. Yeah, because I'd be angry if you woke me up. Yeah, you know, like when you wake a sleepwalker up, you're not yeah. supposed to wake up. It was almost like that kind of response, and. It was going on for me for like 18 months. Um, and the next day I was just like depressed, like so depressed because here's me, like someone who's in the fitness industry, who's a coach, um, who's obviously, I take a lot of pride in my training. Um, I actually enjoyed dieting. And then all the, it's, the hard work I was doing was basically being sabotaged at night by something that I didn't want to be doing. And this habit that had just become habitual and just continued and continued to happen to the point where it was the start of last year. Where I was like so depressed of it, I got to the point where I started like having suicidal like thoughts about it, just because I was so depressed every day by what was going on, and that's the point where I started seeing a therapist about it. So I saw a therapist like all last year, and that helped a lot for me. Um, but it was it was loads of different things that I think accumulated to me getting to that point, such as like being on really restrictive diets, being. Um, in a place and an industry that is surrounded by people who I want to try and aspire to be and look like by like, and I have like one of those personalities as well. Well, like all in or not, so I'll just like an, uh, it, you were obsessed yeah. with that. Well, I just go for something Same. like Same. yeah. So if you're given like a bodybuilding plan, you know no matter what you're going to do it anyway. And I've I've always been that type of person, which I think that personality trait can sometimes lead you down down a road as well. So w- when it comes to that point, I think where like you're obsessed with numbers. Um, and you've gone past the point of where like it'd be deemed as healthy just to track or be counting calories and stuff because I think it can get to that point where for a lot of people it becomes stressful and you get anxious yeah. about food and you get anxious about numbers. And I was I was speaking to a client about it um the other day and it's something that I've done with quite a few few clients of where for a lot of them we just do who have been tracking for a while to say to some people like that just stop tracking I think 
creates more anxiety for them than than maybe trying to slowly peel them away and create better eating habits and healthy habits. So it's like you wouldn't jump in the deep end and try and take someone away from what they've used as a crutch for for maybe years. So for like Sundays, we we've started doing stuff like um putting meals in which are maybe like something that they had a childhood so for some clients they just have like smiley faces and beans and then yes. it, and it reminds them of a period in their life where they weren't focused on food and they just eat a meal yeah. because it's satiating not not because they're counting calories or counting numbers they don't give a shit about what the meal is yeah and it for some of them it's been quite rewarding to do that because they're able to pick meals based on that i actually used to eat that and i enjoyed that and they stopped doing it because they believed that they couldn't do it and they believe that they had to be within like a certain remit or be following something that they've been um talked into that they didn't really want to do yeah i think i think like i i'm very similar to you in that i've always had a very perfectionistic all or nothing mentality like even when i was a child i was always like super perfectionistic super black and white um everything had to be like good or not so um i'd be late to pick up hobbies and i would end up doing that hobby until everyone else in the school had stopped doing it and I was the best at it. So like um, when kids were collecting like football stickers, I didn't bother. And then I ended up being the first one to complete the book and then the second book. And when people started yo-yos, I didn't know what they were and then ended up being the guy that was doing two-handed yo-yo tricks and going to yo-yo clubs and all of that stuff. And I remember like spending two hours over homework as a child and not liking it, just the painting, and then just throwing it in the trash. Um, mm. My mum was like, it's, you know, it's fine. You can improve on it if you want to, just throw it away. And this kind of like perfectionistic um, black and white mentality in, in the kind of psychology world is called dichotomous thinking. And it carries over into like eating behavior. So you know how people are like, that food is like good or bad or it's healthy yeah. or it's unhealthy or I'm allowed to eat it or I'm not allowed to eat it. And that's kind of how I looked at dieting. So I had a list of foods that I thought were okay to eat and then everything else was not okay. So it was like for a long period of time, I say my diet revolved around meat, fish, nuts, and you know, seeds or whatever, fruit, vegetables, and grains. And that was it. Um, if it wasn't like unprocessed in that list, I just wouldn't eat it. Anything else, I wouldn't eat it. Ice cream, wouldn't eat it. Diet Coke, wouldn't drink it. Um, anything that you would consider dessert, wouldn't eat it. And it wasn't like, oh, that's healthy because he's prioritizing healthy foods. It's like strict, I won't eat that. If there's nothing on the menu that I can't eat, I just wouldn't eat anything. I would go on that entire nine-hour plane journeys and not eat plain food because I was okay. like, yeah, um, because I was like so obsessed about not about kind of sticking to that list of foods, and I think there's a yeah, there, there's a kind of there's a, I think a perfectionistic tendency that people kind of can have, and then maybe that's part of the reason why they go into dieting, like you say. The, the metrics of bodybuilding, having your body fat measured all the time, or tracking your food. If you're a numbers guy you can gravitate towards that because you like that. But then you can find that once you're doing it, it's hard to get away from it. And there's some research that shows that um, if you survey, like if you survey a group of people that use MyFitnessPal, some of them will attribute using MyFitnessPal to actually um, contributing to an eating disorder. And some of them won't. Like some people can use MyFitnessPal and they don't have 
any and supposedly they don't have any difference in like food psychology but some people might use it and think i feel like this is leading me down a bad path and it's not like there's a, a good or a bad way to do it it's just for some people using those type of dietary behaviors might come with a risk yeah i think obviously a lot of people's tendencies are different and i know now moving forward with what i do diet wise i have to be careful for someone who's um, had a eating disorder in the past because I know that certain things will will trigger things and certain tendencies um, to do with binge eating can be can be triggered as well. Um, I I don't know if you've seen the book before Ben, but I re- read a good book called um, Brain Over Binge quite recently, um, yeah. and that was that was really good. It talks quite a lot about the the use of therapy, but then also kind of what we've been touching on today in regards to eating habits and how the habit is more powerful and maybe looking at such things as as triggers or maybe deeper rooted reasons of why certain things happen because i went through therapy for a long period of time last year and it helped with like a lot of other aspects of life but it never really solved the problem of the eating disorder and and when like i kind of reread that read that book it touched on a lot of stuff and kind of made more sense so a lot of it was talking about like how we develop these obviously eating behaviors and then they become a habit and then obviously the the power of a habit continued and continued and continued and reinforced becomes so strong and hard to break so for me it was trying to break that that habit of what i was doing over anything and then obviously when you've got a habit plus a reward of eating all the satiating shit and it feels amazing when you do it at the time you reward them just that bad habit and and the mix of the two and then it goes into sort of like the hard wiring of the brain of between habits and those those behaviors and then trying to break them i feel that's a hard thing for a lot of people and that's what i found most difficult like i could do and look into all the things in the past that may have caused it but then actually breaking the habit is the most difficult thing to do when you're stuck in that momentum especially if you've been doing something like that for for years or you've been doing bodybuilding for years and that's all you've known because i've had clients before come out and said i just want to follow the plan of chicken broccoli and rice i don't want to have yeah. um uh, a bit of chocolate i don't want to have a chocolate brownie here i don't want to have this and and they're sometimes the ones that, are, that may be sometimes difficult to deal with because you're trying to then create healthy eating habits when all they've known is to just follow chicken rice and broccoli and that person doesn't want to change but you can see deep down that where it's potentially leading as well yeah i i mean i had the I same think... thing oh sorry you go first you start you go up. first <laughs> I was going to say, I had the same thing where if I had like a narrow list of foods that I would eat, when I was eating anything outside of that, I had a tendency to binge. So the whole kind of like clean, quote unquote, clean during the week and then like cheat meals at the weekend, anything that wasn't on that list ended up being like a cheat meal. So for example, if I liked cereal or, you know, chocolate cereal or sweets or something like that, I would eat it at the weekend, but I'd end up doing like a cheat meal with it. And for ages, that's how I ate it. I wouldn't eat a little bit. It was like, oh, this is one of my cheat meal foods. And I would end up smashing the shit out of it and eating, you know, thousands and thousands of calories worth. And that's one of the interesting things with like, um, I think food psychology and like food behavior is the role of something called dietary restraint. So if someone is restricting elsewhere, what is the impact it has on um, how they want to consume food. So there was um, a study decades and decades ago, and they noticed that people had that had the highest level of dietary restraint. 
um, would eat the most or they would eat more once they had felt like they had broken their dietary restraint rules. So, for example, if someone isn't allowed chocolate on their diet, if you give them one mouthful of chocolate, they might suddenly eat more rather than just eating one and going, that's fine. It's like kind of opening the floodgates and in their head, it's like, I've broken this set of rules that I've imposed on myself. So now it doesn't matter and everything goes out the window. And that's why some people end up eating more off the back of it. Yeah, we always defy stuff like that, don't we? It's like when your mum says to you when you're younger, don't go and play with that kid down the road who puts crayons up his bum. The first thing that you go and do is run down the, the road and play play with that kid. <laughs> don't pretend like you don't know the kid like that. The, the kid yeah, in the black and crayons. Yeah, I know the one. I know the one. No, I was definitely going to say in terms of it kind of becomes, and, I, and this is definitely an experience that I had, it becomes such a strong habit that say, for example, if I ate something like I binged, if I didn't make myself sick, it would cause me the most severe anxiety, like something really, really bad was going to happen to me. So yeah. I, I couldn't not do it. It was like, it was like the, the urge to not do it was too much. So I had to, I didn't want to think about, oh my God, something really bad's going to happen. And you're in that mindset when it's associated to food. And unfortunately, this is definitely still the case where you think you're, you're going to put fat on instantly. Like if you have really disordered eating, you have a very, very negative association association with, with putting extra fat on that you don't want. Yeah. And that's what I had. I was terrified of not making myself sick because I was going to get fat. Whereas I was very underweight. Like I look back now and I'm like, hell, holy hell, Lucy, like you were so underweight. But when you're so deep in it and it is a habit, it's, ju it's just a habit that needs breaking. But because habits take over 70 days to break consistently, it's really, really difficult to get yourself out of that vicious cycle. We were doing it, weren't we? When well, That's the whole thing that comes from that whole expression, like cheat day and all and that kind oh, of we ethos. So... Remember, we, we used to base it on a weekend, and because we'd like, right, Saturday night, cheat day, like, yeah. we'd, we'd kind of, like, swab up on, like, all these foods that we'd restrict during the week, and then we used to make this, remember that cake we used to make? Yeah. It was just, like, this cake, which you could think of, of every single thing on it was, like, it was, like, having two 20-kilo plates, like, slabbed together with, like, a heart attack of amount of cream yeah, and sort like of caramel everything. shit, anything you can put on top. And we used to make sure that we finished the whole thing because it was like, right, we know like the next day it's back to the shit diet again. So it was kind of like your opportunity to get as much in as possible. And I think that this is one of the reasons why I think th this is obviously like we're talking about bodybuilding extremes. Like say if you were competing or I was doing photo shoots or like Lucy was swimming, I I'm talking about like people who were extremely lean for their relevant sport. So obviously that's like one end of the spectrum, but a lot of people follow dietary approaches that are similar to that. A lot of people are doing the things that bodybuilders are doing and not realizing that they just don't need to do it. So, um, you know, there are certain practices that I think we should have conversations about where the risks are involved. So I have no issues with people tracking on my fitness power. I think it's a great tool, but I know that for some people, they might find that their relationship with food gets worse. I have no issue with people weighing themselves or weighing themselves every day. Um, for me, when I weighed myself every day, um, I actually found that it helped my psychology because I stopped being scared of like scale fluctuations. It kind of took out the emotion of it, if that makes sense. 
But I know some people, if you said step on the scales every day, it would frighten the shit out of them. Um, mm. And I think there are some kind of behaviors um, when it comes to dieting that I think come with risk. And I think it's important that we're transparent of that risk so people can make you know useful decisions for them. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, re- relevant to me as well. Like I, that time when I was going through therapy and trying to come overcome the eating disorder, I didn't weigh myself at all, and then I've only got back to it like the last couple of months and um, doing it every single day, and it's it's worked for me again. So I think it depends where that person's up to with the journey, but it's obviously massively dependent on the individual, which is why we can't be like so broad with with certain things and why it's down to that person and what their traits like and what their habits like and where they come through. I still through. don't, do I? Like you don't weigh yourself. So again, <laughs> I, I don't it's, like it's, so in, it's so individual, isn't it, from from person to person. But I think whilst we're on the topic, we might as well open up another another can of worms, Ben, and I think yeah. you probably, you definitely have spoken about before on your page, is just your view when it comes to um, anti-diet culture. Okay. So I... Oh, man, this is a big topic, isn't it? Um... <laughs> We've okay, just opened so, an absolute yeah. core yeah, here, haven't right. we? I'm, I'm trying to get my head around this first. Okay, <laughs> so um, I, I, I won't, I won't, again, I won't name names. So I kind of, there was an argument that happened a couple of years back or a year and a half ago, arguing about whether calorie deficits worked or whether diets worked. And um, it created a bit of a shitstorm online with people arguing against each other. And at the time I was like, I don't actually necessarily disagree with either of these stances. I just think that they're kind of talking past each other. And I I think if you have one group of people where it's like, you should diet, you will be healthier, whatever. Let's say they go super extreme into diet culture where they make it seem like you have to be slim to be attractive and healthy and everything else. Um, and then you have, let's say, an extreme end of that where they're criticizing diet culture of you don't actually have to lose weight to be healthier you could improve your health without losing weight the whether you're attractive or not doesn't necessarily depend on your body fat percentage i think there are kind of merits to both sides and i think there are um sometimes arguments uh that sometimes i don't i don't think need to be arguments so Mm -hmm. in my perspective questioning diet culture whether that's anti-diet culture or not i i don't know the strict definition of there there are certain things about diet culture that i think we should probably all question like whether it makes sense that the only people that are on magazines are always the people with 10 percent or less body fat um whether we should keep telling people that they have to lose a lot of weight like magazines and things like that are constantly promoting you know lose 20 pounds in the next 30 days and I don't think we should be surprised that so many people are on extreme diets and yo-yo diets and things like that. Like, again, if you asked 100 people to lose weight, I think a lot of those 100 people are going to choose methods that we would say aren't advisable. But Mm -hmm. I think that is what people associate dieting with. Um, You know, this culture of trying to lose weight as quickly as possible via super extreme methods, you know, the same type of thing that maybe we have done on some way um i think that those are things that that should be questioned and i think there are some kind of important conversations to be had about why people are dieting in the first place like are they trying to improve their health are they trying to feel better about themselves you know what is it yeah of course i think 
I think like my view on it is it's 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 almost like too general. Like you can't say that every diet doesn't work um and come at it from that perspective. And yeah, I find as well now it's almost like again with a lot of stuff that comes up in the fitness industry, it's almost like what would you say? Um it's almost like fashionable now to talk about or be pro like anti-dieting and like we know extreme content gets views. So being extreme with something, I feel like um help some people like push themselves out there more and i do get it that some some diets need to be challenged but i think the the statement of all diets don't work is just it's too I'm, extreme that that is one of the things that um like i, I don't want to criticize like a, an entire movement because i think if you asked let's say 20 people that describe themselves as being anti-diet you might mm-hmm. get slightly different views on what that actually entails um people that say that diets don't work I, I would strongly refute that. Um, and I think that's one of those examples of, of giving an opinion that's so black and white that it's missing some very important conversations. So a, a lot of diets, a lot of people that go on diets will regain weight. Um, a lot of them will regain all the weight they lost. Um, that isn't a, a huge secret. Like in the research literature, in a lot of weight loss trials, a lot of people do regain weight. Um, not everyone. Um, if you say that everyone who loses weight uh, regains it all, that would, wouldn't be true. Um, so when people say that, you know, all diets fail or 95% of diets fail, I that's an example of quoting one research study and then applying that statistic to all the others. It's, it's not accurate. Um, but I think that we can have an important conversation about why diets fail or why so many diets fail and how we can improve that and you know discuss what we can do to make it better i don't think it's necessarily good to say that diets have no place and i don't necessarily think it's good to say that everyone should be dieting i think you know it's there's a lot of um nuance in those topics yeah definitely and i think i think one thing that's like a shame in terms of the anti-diet culture is like if someone wants to diet and off their own back and they're doing it for reasons for example they want to lose some weight. They just want to help their heart health or whatever it is. Yeah. People, they might be, so, be able to live longer or be able to run yeah, around with kids just, or do other Just generally, shit. they actually want to diet for a purpose of their <clears> health. <throat> and then some people come back at them so strongly being like, you shouldn't be dieting. You shouldn't be doing this. You should like, I've had it to me before where like, why do you always want to be in like shape? Like, why do you want muscle? Why do you want this? And it's like, you, you can't kind of, it's not one way or the other. And that's like, there's two massive extreme ways when people say like, you, you shouldn't want to be in shape. You shouldn't, you shouldn't diet. Don't, you can't say that to people. You don't know the reason why they're doing that. It's personal to every single person. I think when it comes to anti-diet culture, I think there is a a minority of people who do push, um, push it too far. That's what um, I mean. I, I had the comment, like I was talking about the anti-diet culture the other day on a post and I had someone who was attacking me about it and saying that the only reason why I was advocating that diet yeah, advocating diets do still work, even from the position that I've been in, um, was because I make money off <laughs> off weight loss and selling selling diets. Um, to my responses along the lines of obviously, if I, if I wanted to just make money, then I wouldn't have become a PT. Uh, at the end well, of the day, also but... like you, you, you can train clients and get paid a flat rate with your clients, irrespective of what their goal is. Like, there's mm-hmm. no no reason to think that all of your clients want to lose fat. Like the idea yeah. that you have financial incentive. And that's why you care about dieting just seems a bit absurd to me. So I think that 
let's say anti-diet culture and diet culture are like two separate circles. I think that some people will live in each of those and completely disagree with everything that the other groups say. But I don't think that they are strictly conflicting. I think there are some parts of diet culture that we will all disagree with, like the way that some fat loss supplements are marketed, the way that um, some transformation challenges are marketed, like you have to lose fat to be sexier and be healthier and et cetera, et cetera. And I think one of the things that anti-diet culture has maybe made us question, which has been valuable, is whether people that want to improve their health should quote unquote diet because if you told 100 people that they need to lose weight for their health chances are they're going to pick some pretty piss poor methods that none of us would agree with and i think that's where the health and and body weight don't necessarily overlap is Mm -hmm. whilst you can improve your health by losing weight if you tell people they have to lose weight chances are they're going to do it by some pretty unhealthy means and i don't think we should be surprised that a lot of people are doing you know, taking dodgy fat burners and celery juice cleanses and meal replacement shakes. They're not doing it from like, I'm going to focus on my health and hopefully my body weight will change. They're focusing it on, I'm going to try and lose weight first and hopefully my health will change. But they're trying to achieve fat loss via some very questionable methods. And I don't think we should be surprised because we're saying focus on fat loss first and your health will get better. Whereas I think maybe we should shift that. Yeah, definitely. And I know you've spoken about this a lot because me and Ben have always touched on it. And again, I never name names. It's just not something I do. Uh But I think a lot of that also stems from a lot of really, really big influencers who are just told to sell these products and they don't really know what they are. They don't know why they're doing it. They just get a paycheck and you can't really like, it's kind of their own fault for taking that responsibility, but you can't really blame them. It's just, they're just doing what they do. However, I don't think these people with millions of followers realize how much of a strong influence they have on younger girls because a lot of them have like fantastic physiques. Like they they look amazing. So why wouldn't younger girls and guys look like look up to them? So it, it's definitely, it is, a, it is an issue. If I didn't, if I don't say a name, let's say there's a celebrity with tens of millions of followers and they say, here are some fat loss gummies and if you take them you'll lose weight and they've got some advert where the person's lost weight and suddenly they're instantly sexier and all of that shit i i think you know if you're a young impressionable teen this kind of idea that you have to lose weight to be more attractive or be healthier and things like that i think is you know possibly part of a reason that all three of us wanted to make sure that our body fat levels stayed as low as possible for really long periods of time. And I think like just the fact that we're talking about um, the fact that you don't, you know, being super lean all the time isn't necessarily healthy, both from like a mental health and a physical health perspective, you know, shows that there are some aspects of diet culture in the fitness industry that we all speak out against. And I think there are certain parts that need speaking out. I don't, I I completely agree with both of you. The idea that someone's shamed for losing weight, I'm not comfortable with that at all. I think people should have choice over their own body. Um, I think there are some aspects of of diet culture that we can all disagree with and some that maybe are a bit more contentious. Yeah, I think when it comes to the point of influence as well, though, I don't even think that uh, 
it, it needs to be someone with like millions of followers. Like just for example, like when I used to go to the gym, when I first started going to the gym, um, many moons ago, the, the guy who used to work behind the reception desk used to make this like mad protein shake, which was like two scoops away, like banana, eggs, donut, even like a piece of hobus or something like that in it. And I used to believe, well, he, that's the guy who works behind the counter. Obviously, he knows what he's talking about. So I used to go home and make these mad shakes. And that's just yeah. like the power of influence of seeing someone maybe with a little bit of authority that then made me believe that's the thing to do. So I think it's it's difficult because there can be so many people online and that's why it's hard now is because people who are entering the fitness industry, maybe it's, it depends who the first persons they see. And a lot of the time now when like I'm working with some clients, it's, it's kind of like reteaching them or trying to get them away from those bad habits and pick the stuff that they've picked up from other people rather than really coaching them. So you're, you're, you're trying to reverse a lot of stuff and trying to better their relationships with, with food and the way they view stuff first before you can even address maybe what their goals are goals are all at that time and i think at the same point like when it comes to diets like i still think to some degree like our souls everyone has one because they're just all habitual habits and what the way yeah. that we we eat food um but at, at the same time i don't think like you for me personally you need to view a diet as this is what i need to be able to stick to for the rest of my life because there'll be certain periods in your life when you want to do other shit like sometimes i'm like i just want to be able to get as strong as possible lift heavy shit up from the floor, focus on performance. There might be some points where like, I want to lose a bit of body fat. There might be some periods where I'm like, I just, I'm quite happy, quite content being um, a bit heavier, eating a little bit more and not too focused on training because we've got work shit and other stuff to focus on. So that's why I don't always think that you need to see a, a diet as something that you can stick to for a lifetime because just like when maybe you are at a certain point in your life, a little bit more restrictive with money because you need to save up for a house. Like you don't yeah. restrict for, for mass period of times that is when I think it does become more unhealthy when you believe that a calorie deficit maybe is something that you have to always be in. And we did a podcast yeah. on this like a couple of weeks ago of, and we had loads of feedback from it from people who were like, well, how do we get out of a calorie deficit? Because they'd just been in it for so long and they didn't really understand the repercussions of what's doing to their menstrual cycles or hormones and, and yeah. a lot long-term effects that even from like a psychological level that it might have. I think they're the people I even feel like I got caught up in that as well, by the way. I'm just thinking that I need to be in a deficit all the time. Yeah. I think like, let, let's say on one group, of, on one one side, you've got people that like, okay, I'm going to diet for eight weeks and they'll often do something that's like super restrictive or, or let's say people January the first rolls around or January the second, they're like, okay, new year's resolution. I'm going to lose as much weight as possible. They've got like a super restrictive diet. I think the whole like pick something that you can go on for the rest of your life is, is supposed to, kind of direct the people that think that diets have to suck balls like yeah. in the, you know in the bad way like super super strict for eight weeks but something they can't stick with past that point and i think there's like no you don't have to make it something eight weeks it doesn't have to be something super um, extreme like you could eat more vegetables eat a little bit less processed food maybe drink a little bit less alcohol exercise once or twice more a week and like increase some gentle behaviors that people could sustain for six months or 12 months or two years or, you know, kind of uh, create healthier habits for the long term. Um, but I, I agree with you that on the other side, the idea that people think oh, I have to diet for the rest of my life is maybe not the message that we should be sending. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I've done something a little bit, I've um, actually working with a coach myself again at the moment and it's something that I did 
quite soon after uh, eating disorder because it, it kind of took a lot of the stuff that I was doing away from me. So I don't really think about diet as much anymore. Um, and the, the coach that I'm working with now, we kind of sat down and had the conversation that I knew it was going to be, I think this is the, the, the problem is that a lot of people think it's going to be a quick turnaround and that's it and it's over. Whereas like the, the guy that I'm currently working with now, it's like, okay, we've mapped out a plan for like a year and there's like different phases. There's some, there's some periods that are a little bit more restrictive and then it's okay. We've, we've done this period for like a certain amount of time and then we're going to move back into like maintenance calories or a bit of a surplus. Um, not because maybe that's anything to do with like beneficial to the way I may look by the end of it, just because it's beneficial from a, a psychological point of view and a physiological point of view of not being in a deficit for, for too long. And that's why I think the way that we view, view diets and need to be a little bit more long-term and maybe looked at a period of time rather than just go, I'm going to smash the shit out of a deficit until I look the way I want to look. Because a lot of people still get to that position of where they may be intended to be at the start of the diet and then are still unhappy. So they just continue, continue, continue. And that's yeah. where the real, real bad cycles become in because they're never, they're never really happy with the, the point that they get to. And this was a discussion that we had with our group the other day um, in regards to the way that you feel maybe when you look in the mirror and stuff. And that's why, and again, going off a tangent, I don't massively agree with like the whole body positivity stuff just because there's nothing wrong. I don't think with some days and I do it now, some days I'll, I'll wake up and look in the mirror and be like, fucking there's Brad Pitt looking back at me and then some days be like I look like a bag of shit I don't think there's anything wrong with that like you don't have to be positive about the way that you look all the time I think it's okay just to accept sometimes they just feel like shit or you're having a bit of a bad day um so so to accept that rather than kind of penalizing yourself all the time and being overcritical about your composition it sometimes creates those those bad habits in themselves I guess like what people from the body positivity um circle might say is if you had more acceptance for the way you looked, would you still be doing some of the, say you've said that some of the dietary practices you've done have obviously been very extreme. I guess what they're saying is if you had more acceptance for the way you looked when you weren't at your leanest, would it have saved you from some of the harmful practices that you embarked on? And I'm not, I don't necessarily say there's like a firm answer to that, but I think like for me, let's say I was a young teenager and I was like, I open a magazine and think I have to look like this dude because this dude is the pinnacle of men's health um, because that's the title of the magazine Um, or, you know, the pinnacle of men's fitness. I've got to look like that guy. So I then embark on some super restrictive diet because I need to get a six pack. And I think one of the issues here that kind of underlines all of this is someone's feeling of self-worth and whether it's based on your body fat percentage and the idea that I was suddenly comparing myself to this dude it's like, well, suddenly I feel like I'm unhealthy and unhappy and unattractive because this dude is the pinnacle of what I need to be. Mm-hmm. And then I start embarking on behaviors that some of them were, you know, dangerous or unhealthy. And I don't know, I think maybe if I'd gone into the industry with a bit more self-acceptance and self-love of where I was, I probably would have avoided some pitfalls. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't think there's necessarily like a black and white answer on that but no, i think i think you're right there in regards to if you come in a, a position where you're already in a ne- negative headspace about it in your body then it's hard to be happy that other that other position i completely um agree with with that the, the only point that um i'm making in regards to body positive to body positive to movement and this is maybe a question as well in, in the same yeah. regard is um do you think that you should be positive 100% of the time 
that in regards to like it, I always I almost feel it's like trying to be I don't know what you mean be happy 100% of the time if, if if you feel like you can be happy 100% of the time it's it's almost like a fake fake happiness or fake positivity about it and I think that puts unnecessary pressure sometimes on on us to be, believe that we should always be happy or we should always be be positive that makes sense you know what I don't I, I'm not an expert of what the body positivity movement um, completely entails and I'm definitely not a psychology expert I think it's in my own like perspective, speaking for me, I think it's unlikely that I would be happy with the way I look 100% of the time. But I don't know if that necessarily means that I shouldn't shoot for it. And uh, don't get me wrong, I think like I, I think it, it's a complicated. I think it's a complicated um, topic. Um, you know, the conversation of body acceptance and health and where they intertwine and and things like that. Um, I, I honestly don't think i don't think i've got a firm answer of that i don't think that yeah. it's maybe realistic that someone's going to feel happy with the way they look 100 percent of the time and if you're saying therefore should we aim for that i i don't know i don't know yeah. I, I, mean, I, 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 I doubt i'm ever going to be 100 percent with the way i look all the time yeah. but i also think that i've probably had 10 years of like horrendous yeah. psychology yeah. that has kind of like <laughs> steered me down steered me down that avenue yeah, I think there's. Well, I was I was actually trying to have a look at some of the definitions the other day because I think even like from like my perspective, I've misunderstood definitions in the past before and been been too general with them. And there's there's other like there's other tie offs of like body positivity and then there's like body neutrality, which is like you just brought up. Then is the acceptance rather than the positive about it all the time. So there, yeah. I feel there's there's different. I suppose the the kind of overlap in a way as well as I suppose it's just being pigeonholed into, into one i honestly think that a lot of arguments stem down to people not quite being sure what that means so yeah. this is this is going to sound like it's on a, a, a dangerous tangent because it's like a huge topic but say like um health at every size that that's one of those things where i've seen loads of people arguing about and a lot of the time i've seen some of the arguments and i've just thought i don't think you actually understand what it's supposed to be about mm. because um when I when I've read up on it, um, and I'm not an expert at it, it isn't necessarily about denying that there are certain health risks. Like it's not saying that some people might not have um, medical risks at certain body weights, um, but it's more about the idea that diets have quite low success rates for the long term, and maybe because there's this kind of habit of if, if someone was overweight and you said, okay, you need to lose forty pounds. I think the first call that people go for is often a really restrictive diet that is probably possibly going to be, you know, a yo-yo effect where they do something they hate, lose a bit of weight, come off the diet because they hated it, regain some weight. And that kind of like common like dieting cycle is, you know, problematic. And I think the, the, the flip side to that is, well, if someone is unhealthy at a certain body weight, focusing on healthy habits like, increasing exercise, eating more unprocessed food, not smoking, cutting down on alcohol. A lot of those might improve their health independent of body weight, like you say, like weight neutrality. And it's possible that if someone embarks on those healthy behaviors, like a health-centric um, a health-centric approach, that their body, may, body weight might change anyway. But if you put someone's body weight first as like, this is the goal you have to hit, 
I think it's like it, it comes with a questionable outcome yeah. because a lot of people are going to do something really restrictive that isn't particularly healthy. They might lose a lot of weight for a month and then think, oh, I hate this. I'm going to go back to where I was before. And I think that is, you know, an interesting, an interesting topic. Yeah, I think that um, I was listening to, was it, it might have been a conversation with Eric Helms and Jeff Nippard speaking about something when I was I was doing something the other day, quite a long Great conversation. Guy. They were, Yeah, they were talking about something um, very similar in regards to just focusing on different health markers, um, such as like performance, sleep, and um, some of the ones that you just mentioned there as well, and then the, the knock-on effect of them rather than just being so heavily weighted on on just our, our body weight because there can be, can be so many different factors which obviously manipulate those, especially for, for females as as well. Say but, like, uh, if, you, if you go back to say Lucy as a teenager with swimming and like the extreme body composition culture of like constantly taking your skin fold measurements and stuff, I imagine some of that is kind of similar to like weight loss in teenagers. If you were told that you were overweight as a teenager and you someone made you step on scales once a week and they recorded your weight and they scolded you when you were too heavy and all of that stuff. I think some of that is similar in that you're being told off for how much you weigh and you, you know, the, the kind of direction that that can nudge you towards. And I think that's possibly one of the issues. Like I've, I've read some of the old, very old weight loss research and even really old studies from like 40 years ago, 50 years ago, um, talk about the downsides of telling people how much weight they have to lose. Like there, there are doctors that say, if you look on, say, a BMI chart and says, this is how much weight you have to lose. Um, it said that if you weigh people, like there are weight loss studies where they weighed people four times a day and they noticed really? that people lost more weight when they weighed themselves four times a day. And part of it was because of the accountability. Like if you're weighing yourself four times a day, you stop eating things that are, you're worried are going to affect the scales. But mm -hmm. the flip side is that is even in the research study, they said, if you when you're prioritizing people losing weight that much, it's common to see people embark on behaviors that aren't healthy. Like people were taking, taking laxatives or starving themselves before weigh-ins. Like, you know, if people weigh in once a week and the weekend before they really cut down what they're eating to try and like beat the scale. Mm -hmm. And I think those, those are kind of extreme examples of like, when you put weight first, you don't necessarily, uh, you're not also necessarily thinking about health because some behaviors aren't what we would describe as health promoting. And I think it's, I think it's really co complicated. I'm not saying that people should never focus on their body weight. Of course, like I'm definitely not saying that I do it all the time. Um, but I think it's also interesting that if someone needs to improve their health, the first thing we tell them is lose as much weight, but we don't necessarily talk about how, and like you say, focusing on sleep or focusing on, finding an exercise habit that they like or um you know maybe reduce how much alcohol they're drinking or, or whatever without telling people what behaviors to adopt all you're really doing is saying you need to lose this much weight because you're unhealthy and then waving yeah. goodbye and hoping they do all right which doesn't yeah. work a lot of the time yeah well, that's the thing with diets we know that the success rates for in regards to weight loss is is there a lot of people know how to lose weight a lot of people do lose weight it's just the sustainability after it which is is questionable and the knowledge that we have at the moment would, would kind of back that up and just on that other note i think in regards to swimming you were basically fat shamed weren't you when you jump on the scales and 
I know you've spoke about fat shaming a couple of times and we know the, the repercussions of that. And I think it, it goes on a lot still. And I've, I've seen it even in gyms before where people have been recording people on the sly and, and doing certain things. And, and for those people, like it's hard because that's the place that maybe you say they should be. And to them feel uncomfortable in that place is, is probably nothing worth. But I think we could probably do a whole nother podcast on, on this topic just of, of fat shaming. So I won't try and go down it. I think we're probably better scheduling 2.0 because we could probably go on for um, some considerable amount of time. But there's, I'm happy, I, feel I'm happy like, yeah, cool. I feel like everything we spoke about, we could dive in in so deeply because the topics are very emotional. I think behind like disorderly eating and talking about diet culture and anti-diet culture, there's a lot of like emotion behind those topics. So we could literally, we could literally talk forever about them, but obviously we'll definitely create a 2.0 episode. I feel like that's probably yeah. on the cards. I'd love that. We can even maybe get the, uh, the lovely of a half in, involved at some point as well. with a sure podcast. Sure. She would enjoy that. <laughs> That's great. Um, but we really appreciate you coming on here. Anyway, today, Ben, I'm sure um, other people will probably have questions for you as well. So where can people find you following the podcast that they want to see more of your your beautiful face and wonderful voice? Instagram is good. Uh, my handle is BDC Carpenter. But if people have questions, they're welcome to send them to you and we can list them for Podcast 2.0 if you want. That's a very nice idea. That's yeah, we'll, a really we'll, nice we'll idea. Put, we can put a question box up and then you get some questions. And if following people listen to this. Um, if you guys listening have any further questions about what we spoke about in today's episode, you can email them to me at lucyatmycoachschool.com um, just so it's around the basis of this topic. Because some people might have been like quite triggered, not triggered in a bad way, but it might have clocked their minds or something with this podcast as well. So if you do want to have a chat or whatever it is, just email me and we can arrange to chat about it in our next podcast as well. And then also please um, continue to leave reviews on the podcast um, because we want to remain as high as possible, especially above that. Number two, and I'm not number two in Great Britain, which is great, but I'd love number one. There's an an American who's at the top of the UK podcast charts. Is that even even legal? (laughs) Why is he an artist? I'm complaining to the manager. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) But it's been great having you on. Yeah, if any of you guys want to find more of Ben, pop over to his his Instagram page. He's putting out a lot of good content. He's one of the good guys and and, and putting out a lot of science-based stuff. And, And often... Um, illustrating and publishing in a way which is is more easy to digest, I would say yeah, as well, definitely. even for a monkey like me. So uh, definitely pop over onto to his page, and hopefully very soon we'll have we'll have two in the works. Great, it's been a pleasure. Thank you.